The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by Storyblocks. It's the first and only subscription-based stock media company that offers unlimited downloads of member library content for a modest annual fee of just $149 per year per site, while providing its contributing artists 100% of the sales revenue for their photographs, video, or audio. To find out more, visit storyblocks.com forward slash candid. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. Though I've learned a lot from other photographers by attending classes and workshops, it's always been books that have provided me the greatest insight into what it takes to make a great photograph. And it's been monographs rather than instructional books that have meant the most to me. I have spent countless hours sitting in a chair looking at the work of my favorite photographers over and over again, learning how to see the world a little differently. Arthur Meyerson is a photographer who, through his words and photographs, continues to inspire me to rediscover the world visually. In his latest book, The Journey, he shares his own development as a photographer. The insight he shares with his words and his amazing photographs serve to remind me of the many possibilities that exist for us as photographers and make him the ideal guest to celebrate our 400th episode. Well, Arthur, welcome back to the Candid Frame. I'm really, I'm really pleased to have a chance to talk, sit down and talk with you again. It's a pleasure. I remember our last conversation well, and I've been looking forward to this one. So take it away. Um, this latest book, the, the Journey, is really a beautiful book. The images are wonderful, and I love the text. And, and uh, as my father would say, good paper. <laughs> <laughs> Your father has great taste, no doubt. Yeah, my, uh, my dad was a, was a pressman, so anytime I handed him something I'd, I'd worked on, he'd, he'd take the paper between his fingers and feel it and would, would judge the paper before saying anything about the content. <laughs> well, that's important. And I will say, as long as we're on that, the book is patterned very much after my first book, The Color of Light. Uh, Same dimensions, but we have more photos, a lot more text. But paper-wise, I wanted to go with the same paper. I wanted something that I thought would hold the images well. And for anybody going through the book, I think uh, it would, uh, the photographs would, they'd lift, if you will, off the page. And I think they do that. So again, that's a credit to my designer, Lowell Williams and, uh, once again, I think he's done a beautiful job. As you just said, this is uh, uh, what I think you probably would consider a follow-up to that first book uh, in some yeah. ways. In 2012, I published my first book, The Color of Light. And that book was the culmination of 40 years of personal photography. It was an effort to put bookends around that body of work. And it was a tough, it was a tough assignment because there was so much. And... I didn't want to overdo it, and at the same time, I didn't want to leave things out. 
And the interesting thing is still to me, I'm very, very pleased with that book, but it was always interesting as to what photographs made the cut and which ones didn't. The bottom line is that book, even when I look at it today, is everything I could have hoped and wished it to be. It's out of print now. I made the decision, conscious decision, not to reprint it. I didn't want the book to end up in half-price books for Mm $2.95. I wanted that book to be special. I think that was a tribute to the people that uh, got behind it, bought the book. And so that's what I decided to do. The only thing we have left from that now are uh, some deluxe editions. But once that book was completed, I was already thinking about the next book. The bar was set pretty high. I felt that, as I just said, that one had done so much of what I wanted it to do. Now was the time to think about, okay, what are you going to do next? The images and material was there to certainly do a color of like two, three, and four. Mm -hmm. But I felt like, no, I want to do something different. I want to go where I didn't go. That came about, the the content came about from a couple of different sources. In the new book, The Journey, the first thing that happened that really helped set the course for me was I had the good fortune to have Ann Tucker, a great photography curator, recently departed from the uh, Museum of Fine Art here in Houston. She's uh, now on her sabbatical, but she... uh, She's staying quite busy, but she agreed to do an interview with me for this new book. And before we did anything, she spent an enormous amount of time asking me for anything and everything that had been written, published, videos, podcast, anything. She wanted to go through and make a serious effort to ask the questions that hadn't been asked before. And she got back to me a couple of months later, and she had more than done her homework. And we spent three days on and off here at my studio, having a conversation. And one question could lead to another story, another journey. And what it became was a look back at my career, where I had been, and I think in a sense where I was going. She felt, as did the designer, that it was very, very important that I do that, that I present you know, this body of work, the commercial work, as well as personal work, talk about the teaching, talk about everything that I've done that's made up my photographic life. And that's where it began. So the new book now is divided up between a interview, a lengthy but intense interview with Anne, uh, followed up by another section that I call process. That's more my photographic process, what I did as a photographer and how I became a photographer. And then the third part, of course, would be some selected journeys, both commercial as well as personal. The one thing, though, that I realized that I didn't want this book to do or be, I didn't want it to become a how-to book. Rather, I wanted it to become a how book. How a guy like me, without any real photographic education or background, nothing in design or art, um, how I evolved as a photographer, and I wanted to share that. I wanted to share that with my students, my colleagues, uh, anybody that was interested, because the story that came out of that <laughs> was interesting. It was, it's still interesting to me as to where I've been and where I'm going. It's really interesting that, that you use the interview with Ann to help sort of 
spark what ends up being in this book. And I think it's really interesting because when you're living your life, when you're, you know, living out your career, you're just in the midst of it. You know, you, you rarely have opportunities to have perspective on what you've done. It's just what you've done. And how did that conversation sort of reveal new aspects or facets of you and your work and how you worked that you may not have been, you know, completely aware of before you started the book? I think a lot of it was things I'd taken for granted. So much, so many times we'd be talking and she'd say, explain that, you know, mm. explain what a light table is, explain what, you know, uh, the film process was like and how you, you know, evolved from film to digital. So it did. It took me back. And at the same time, it made me think about things the way we did things during the time that my career evolved is into what, you know, became, we'll say, the digital age. So that was really, really important. And at the same time, it was interesting to, again, look back at these things that, uh, as I said, I, I think I had just assumed, you know, anybody reading or whatever would know, you know, these things. And she said, no, you've got to understand, you're going to have a younger audience involved here as well as an older audience. And you want to speak to both of those. And I, I, I think she's right. Yeah, absolutely. I had the same experience when I first started teaching is that there there were a lot of things I assumed everyone else knew them just because I had sort of undervalued what I knew, right? I just said, well, if I know this, then probably everyone else knows it. And then in the process of teaching, I realized, oh, it's not so obvious. That's exactly right. Yeah. You're exactly right. And so, I, again, I think certain things would come up and I would, you know, start to talk about those things and realize, no, that's that's really an important thing. Or, you know, okay, what, let's talk about this process. You know, you didn't, you weren't educated as a photographer or have a background in, in graphic design. So where did this all come from? And a lot of it was, of course, hit or miss. A lot of it was my personal work that I continue to do throughout my career and still do. But learning from that and taking those lessons and applying those to what I do in the commercial world, or quite frankly, it could be vice versa. It could be something that I learned, developed, or worked with in the commercial context that I could apply to personal work. So it was that going back and looking at how one affects the other and the importance of that and the realization that all of that, all of that was part of what I think evolved in making me the photographer that I became. Yeah. Uh, any book or any project is always experiences its evolutions, its changes. I mean, you may have an initial idea, but what it eventually grows into is not completely, doesn't completely match the original concept or the idea. And how did that evolve and change as you were having these conversations? And as a result of the conversations, you began revisiting certain images and started reconsidering how they related to what to what you were mm -hmm. wanting to express and how it was changing. One of the things, one of the bits of feedback I got back from the first book, The Color of Light, from most people was they loved the book, they, they loved the images, the design, etc. But several people said, it sure would have been nice to know some of those stories behind some of the pictures. Mm. And I kept that in mind on this book 
And so I wanted to reveal some of the backstories, not only on some of the per, uh, personal images, but the commercial ones, too. Uh, I think anybody who's interested in photography looks at a photograph and they want to know, what's the story behind this? What happened? How did that evolve? How did you do that? Were you, you just get lucky all the time? Did, you know, was this planned? And so this business of explaining or telling these, as I call them, backstories behind the images, I think, again, helped me relive the moment when I made those photographs. And at the same time, uh, I hope, I think it uh, answered the, the call that people had about, you know, getting more and more information about the pictures. So that, to me, I think became a very important part of this. As I said, there's a lot more text in this. It's just not the interview. Each section, chapter, whatever you want to call it, is preceded by, uh, I'll write something uh, uh, about whatever the process or the journey might have been. And specifically, I'll talk about a few of the images. Um, I think the book would have gotten over the top had I tried to talk about every image. So I tried to pick the ones that I thought Mm -hmm. were more interesting or at least had stories that um, people could relate to or find interesting. What's really interesting about the book is that, as you mentioned, you are not including just personal work, but you're including commercial work, stuff that you did on assignment. And then you have a certain section, like the one that you had on Coke. Uh, You see those pictures and you see the whole Coke logo and the motif in several of of those images, making it obvious that this was a commercial job. But had you not said anything about it being a commercial project and you were just looking at the images in terms of aesthetics, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between that and your personal work because your aesthetics in terms of light, shadow, shape, line, all of those things that that make your photographs so good to me will pervade all of that. But the, the question I want to ask you is that a lot of people sometimes, you know, think that there is a huge disparity between the personal work and the commercial work. And I'm wondering when you were sort of looking at, at, at your own photographs, did you perceive them based on that difference or were you just completely looking at them in terms of aesthetics at this point? Well, in the commercial world, the difference between a commercial assignment and going out to shoot for yourself is basically you've got to come back with something. They, they're not sending you across the street or halfway around the world to come back with, well, you know, things didn't work out. You you needed to come back with images and they had to be terrific. So there was uh, uh, not only uh, pressure, but there was also uh, a reason for making the photographs. What I wanted to do in most of the commercial work that I did, and I had the opportunity, I felt, in most of it, was I didn't necessarily want them to be commercial-looking, if that's if that's a, a, a term. I wanted them to be the photographs that I would have made had I gone out and done this for myself. And I worked very hard toward that idea. Coca-Cola, which is a, as good an example as any client that I had, and I probably had the longest-running uh, relationship with them as any client for 20 plus years, I think, it got to a point where they were very much giving me the ball and letting me run with it. There, there were parameters that had to be uh, considered, that things they wanted to talk about, certain products. That, but in terms of the aesthetics of the shot, I had a lot of uh, opportunity to come up with suggestions and ideas. Uh, 
they didn't all work, but I think for the most part they did, and they were very happy with them. It it became like at one point trying to do the less is more thing, which is that logo, as you mentioned, and that red and white you know mark that people know worldwide is so well known that I felt we don't have to pound people over the head and stick the Coke bottle or can in front of everybody with a happy, smiling face. Mm-hmm. We could do it more as a, a, a slice of life type of image and make it a part of a situation, be it wherever we were in the world. And we, for the most part, would use real people as models. Um, I, it, it took a bit of convincing, but once they saw that real people could do what we were trying to illustrate, I think it gave the photographs authenticity. Mm. And that is something that I thought really, really helped the the, the look, the feel, uh, and the product overall. So we worked very much toward that idea. And like I said, in some way, fashion, or form, I tried to keep that same idea going throughout that time. There were times when we certainly get uh, suggestions or ideas or they would want to you know, go at it a different way. But for the most part, I love the idea that, uh, as, as I call it in the book, kind of a Where's Waldo approach. Mm-hmm. Where, um, So in any case, that's a big compliment. The one that you mentioned that not necessarily being able to tell the difference between uh, the commercial work and the personal work. And like I said, for me, that was very much a, a I, I went at it very much like that. And as I said, it was very much about trying to make those pictures that I would have made, whether it was for a client or not. And I tried to carry that through, not just with Coke, but with other clients as well. Because it was about, uh, on a secondary level, it was very much about storytelling. And I think all of us as photographers are storytellers even with the simplest type of image that one might create to the most complex, whatever that may be, we're storytellers. And I think whether you're telling a story about a product or a service that a commercial client might do, or you're telling a story about a scene from the street that you've captured or a landscape or a portrait, whatever it is, that's what we do. And that's, I think, what we want to present to our viewers. You said something interesting just now in that that sometimes you would go for an idea for a set of images and they didn't work. And I find that really fascinating, fascinating in relationship to commercial work because I think that a lot of photographers are very fearful to take risks, especially risks that may, may not work for fear that the client will question them hiring them in the first place, or they don't want to disappoint. So tell me about, you know, situations where you're not so much risking the whole the whole failure of the job, but you're trying to sort of take it outside of, you know, the sort of expected parameters and trying to give them something more, something more than they may have sort of initially anticipated. Yeah, well, that... That typically was the situation. By that, I mean, usually you were given a, we'll say, a layout. Uh, and in that layout, a drawing or a sketch, or it might have even been a photo that they had comped up and said, this is what we want. And I think the first thing I would say or do is, okay, that might be what you want, 
but we don't know what we're going to find when we go wherever we're going. (laughs) Let's leave it open. You want to leave that headline or where the type or copy? Fine. But let's stay open and see what we get. And I think a lot of what I would try to do, and I think most commercial photographers I know would do the same, is we go out. We would certainly try to answer or do something close to what was called for expected. But it was the unexpected. It was the idea that we talked about the last time we were uh, having our interview, which is my thing about uh, not wanting to go out with a plan or with a specific idea in mind because I didn't want to be influenced or disappointed by what wasn't there and miss what was. And so often that would be the case, whether it was a commercial assignment or a personal thing. So I would leave myself open. And once we got that, uh, we'll say the layout shot, a lot of art directors and designers were fine with, okay, we got it. Let's go back to the hotel. And I'd say, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm mm-hmm. going to work the rest of the day. I'm going to try to come up with other alternatives um, for you. That's what you hired me for. And I want to see. I want to explore this place. I mean, we're here. Let's go for it. And in doing that, I might try something different photographically. You know, it might be uh, a format. I might go to a panoramic, or maybe I would go to two and a quarter, whatever. Um, or maybe it would be a matter of trying to light something. I mean, when you were in the commercial world, you know, you were expected to show up with everything and be able to do a little bit of everything. Did I do it all well? No, no. I, mm-hmm. I could usually figure out, you know, what it was I want to do and how to do it. And usually with the help of very good assistance, I was able to get there. But for the most part, it was that desire to put myself in a place and try some things, take some risks. The worst thing that could happen is they say, no, we're going with the thing that we wanted in the first place. Although, I will say this real quickly. I had some situations where the planned photo idea was rejected by the client after the fact. And the fact that I had gone and done other images gave that art director or that designer the opportunity to come back and say, uh, what else you got? Uh, we're going to have to come up with something else. And I had it for him. And it wasn't like me patting myself on the back. It was just simply my desire to make the most of a shoot of a situation and go out there and make as many interesting photographs as I could. And if I came with more, came away with more than what they wanted, so be it. Uh, in the end, I felt that was what I was being hired to do. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about when you go out and shoot, you like to be sort of open to surprises, to the unexpected things that can occur. And I'm wondering whether in the process of making this book, whether or not you were able to sort of create something analogous to that when you were putting together the, uh, the latest tome. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, the answer was yes. And a lot of that, too, again, I, I credit my designer, Lowell. We went through several iterations of what the book would look like and how the book would lay out. And so much of that was his expertise and his uh, cajoling me into different ideas about ways we could look at the book and ways we could consider the book. And what it ended up being was certainly different than what it started out as. And that was okay. I like my clients, I always try to, if I work with somebody good, I want to bow in their direction. I want to listen to what they have to say, and I want them to do what they do best. And 
his suggestions on 95% of this stuff, I think, uh, really, really made a difference in the way the look and feel of the book turned out, as well as the organization of the thing. We had to take all those hours of talk between myself and Ann and, you know, bring those down to something that was not only organized, but, you know, it, it helped get the flow of the book going on the front end. And then the idea of the process as well as the journeys that followed. All of that, I think, tied together quite nicely. The book, no, it, it did. It evolved into something I hadn't really expected it to, but I'm thrilled. I, I love it. I love mm. that it became what it became, and it really was, I think, a perfect next step to what I had done with the first book. And I'm thinking about a third book. As a creative, you know the importance of having good content. Whether it's print, video, or audio, it's the quality of those individual bits of content that establish your work as professional rather than amateurish. It's the stuff that helps ensure that people turn the page, watch the entire video, or listen to a podcast. But it's not always easy to find the right content at the right price. Storyblocks provides the perfect solution for that problem. Not only is it affordable, it also provides income for the content creators themselves, whether they are a photographer, videographer, or illustrator. That's because Storyblocks provides you access to high-resolution photo, vector, or audio, and they are all royalty-free. And for the creators who contribute their work, it's also great because they enjoy 100% of the sales commission. To find out more, go to storyblocks.com forward slash candid to get all the stock images, video, and audio you can imagine for just $149. That's S-T-O-R-Y-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash candid to download anything from thousands of images, video, and tracks, and unlock discounts for millions more. Uh, let's talk about this collaboration because I think it's it's you know with photographers, especially in the world of commercial work, collaboration is is key. It's not a, just about the photographer doing it his or herself. Tell me about you know the choices that led to you working you know with her in terms of this book and what that and how that collaboration was like compared to other other collaborations you may have had, not just with books, but with other people for, for whom you've worked with photographically? I think in the commercial world, for the majority of the time that I was in it, it was about collaboration. It was about working with a good art director, a good graphic designer, a good copywriter, a good agency or a good design firm, and above all, a good client. That collaborative spirit was big, and it usually ended up with what we would call a strong piece, be it an ad, a brochure, an annual report, a catalog, whatever the hell it was. That was all due, I think, in part to everybody doing good work and listening to each other and trying to come up with the best scenario. So for me, that all started with, uh, uh, you know, the commercial world. And... I like the idea of two pair of eyes instead of one, you know, or having a sounding board to go back to a designer or a director and say, look, what about this? What if we try this? And them saying, go for it. Try it. The people that I had the best relationships were the ones that I think uh, 
were encouraging and at the same time gave you that you, you, that little quote, that famous quote by Alexei Brodovich, uh, the great, great designer, which was, surprise me. When you got surprise me, that put a lot of pressure on you. But at the same time, if you had the wherewithal, you were going to go for it. Mm-hmm. You were going to really put yourself in a position to go out there and try some new, interesting and different things, certainly toward what it was that was being asked of you in the first place in terms of whatever the project was. But I'll tell you, it's one of the reasons why I backed away from commercial work uh, a few years ago. I found that the collaborative spirit, the collaboration was getting less and less. Uh, An art director would say, uh, here's the project, go out and do it, and when you get back, send it to me. And I'd say, you're not going to come on the shoot? No, no, no. I'll, I'll just uh, I'll, you send me the pictures and I'll fix it in Photoshop. Oh, that is, that is that was always the kiss of death, you know, quote. I mean, it, my, and I would say, hey, my job is if I do it right, so you don't have to fix anything. I'm going to try to do it for you in camera. And, you know, they'd roll their eyes and whatever. So it became obvious to me that less and less of this going out, working together kind of thing was going to be the way it was going to, I think, evolve. It may not be that way for everybody, and I hope it's not. I think there's a lot to be learned from each side about working together. Going out on an assignment was always a great adventure. And if you had somebody you really enjoyed working with, together you felt like you were doing something really, really good and really exciting and sharing in that. I was all about that. There were a lot of times, though, where I was given, you know, due to budgets, whatever, myself and my assistant would be sent out and maybe someone from the client or maybe they would send an actor. We'd be sent out to go do the assignment. And I was fine with that as long as it was understood exactly what the parameters were, as well as that they were going to accept, you know, if it was just me going out there, they were going to accept whatever it was that I was going to give them. You know, it wasn't going to be... We're not sending anybody because we're going to save some money. You just go out and take pictures and we'll reject them later. Mm-hmm. It was very much about trust. Trust was a very big part of the collaboration. And I felt that. And at the same time, I, I never took advantage of that. I, I think that it was very much about these people are entrusting me with this assignment. And my job is to come back and give them the best photos that I can. Yeah. And that was how I worked. You know, when you're, trust is absolutely essential when you're collaborating with someone, especially on something as intimate as a book, because there are going to be moments where there are going to be very strong opinions about one thing or another, right? Oh, yeah. Which put you, <laughs> on, the, sure which put you on, on the opposite sides of, 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 of some, some aspect of the book. And I'm wondering if you could give us an example of a moment like that between you and your designer that, that yeah. helped the book changed in a way that both of you probably hadn't anticipated well i I, the only thing that i remember that we uh you know arm wrestled over was the cover there is a photo on the front cover the one we used it's uh was taken in japan it's a wall of water inside of a hotel i was staying at uh with a figure passing behind it very colorful and very uh i don't know impressionistic looking and i love that photo and I thought it would be a possibly good idea for a cover, and he agreed. But the one that's on the back cover was a photo of a 
uh, a candid shot I had made in a market in Cuba, in a flower market, and it's a woman with a bouquet of flowers that she's holding. We can see her hand, her shoulders, but her face is completely obliterated by the flowers. So it's 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 an interesting photo. He wanted the bouquet shot on the cover and argued strongly for it, and I wanted the water wall on the cover, and I argued strongly for that. And in the end, as they say, it's good to be the king. <laughs> I, I, I made the decision. He teased me unmercifully, still does, but, you know, it's a great book, but you got the wrong cover. Uh, <laughs> be that as it may, most people seem to like the cover, and uh, like I said, that was probably the only instance in this book where we, I think, uh, uh, had a difference of opinion. But either I think either would have worked fine. You want something that's compelling that will get people to pick it up, look at I think both pictures do that one thing that i love in a photograph they ask a question Mm, yeah what's going on here what is this about you know that to me is one of the great strengths in a photograph i don't think all photos have to give you an answer and i think some of the best ones are those that do just the opposite they ask a question as you said before with the first book it was largely personal work, and you, and you realize that there were a lot of pictures that didn't end up in the book. And there's no doubt there are a lot of pictures that didn't end up in this latest book as well. Talk to me about living with the pictures, you know, uh, and, and how, you know, you came to decide, you know, what pictures are going to go into this book and which ones are you going to have to, to do with that? We ended up with, I don't know, maybe 10 or so We'll call them chapters in the process, and then maybe seven or eight in the journeys. And as I said, each section started off with text, a page of text, me talking about either that process or that body of work or that journey, and then would be followed by individual photographs on each page. You do too many, and I think you start to water things down and lose the audience. Mm. You do too few, and it looks like, uh, you know, maybe there wasn't enough here to begin with. So there was a number in mind, I think it was 10 or 12, that sort of became a number that made sense without, I I hope not, uh, boring the viewer or the reader, uh, but at the same time illustrating that particular section, whatever it may have been. So if it was talking about a color moment, Hopefully, by looking through those photographs, you got an idea about what a color moment could be in in terms of process. Or if it was in the journeys and we were talking about Cuba. I mean, that's a country. That, you know, that in itself is a book. And I had to be, I I had to make some decisions about which photos and how many. And that's, yeah, that's the difficult part. It's like when you're doing a presentation. And you want to show all this new work you've done and you realize, but you've only got so much time or you're Mm -hmm. only going to do so much before people go, enough's enough. The one thing I've learned doing this as often as I had is this. If you don't show it, people don't know what they're not missing. They only (laughs) see what they see. And so, you know, you leave room for more things to be seen later down the road. So some pictures, as I would say, like in this book, just like in the past, made the cut while others didn't, that I thought for sure would. But it may have been very much a point to illustrate an idea or a thought 
in any case, I, I wanted and felt that all the photos needed to be strong, whether everybody's going to love every photo in the book that I, you know, you can't, you can't even consider that. Yeah. It was about taking what I felt strong work to begin with. And again, using those photos to illustrate these ideas and uh, topics. Then all of this, you know, putting the book together, working with an interviewer, working with a designer, going through all these different iterations of the book, bring you to a point where you were able to look at your work with new eyes? Did you learn something about yourself and your work that you don't think you'd ever would have learned had you not gone through this process again? Yeah, I think so. I do. And part of it, I think I was learning as I was making new photographs, the new photographs, because it is a look back at some of the older work too. So two things occur to me here. One is on older work, and I always tell this to my students, you got close seconds Keep those around. Use those for Mm. reference and go back to them in six months, a year, or six years and see. Because I can tell you, many times I picked what I thought was the image. Quite frankly, I went back later and looked at it and said, hell no. What was I thinking? Mm -hmm. It's this one. And there's a few images in the book that did evolve into the book as and, and others rejected because of that. The other thing, too, was... And I think we may have talked about this in our last interview, but it's about ways of working. And I find myself working more and more these days with lighter equipment, uh, mainly because I've had two rotator cuff surgeries. And so I'm hoping that I've done with that. But lighter equipment, smaller equipment, but yet good equipment that will still allow me to do the things I want to do. And in doing that, So now I'm probably avoiding the big zoom lenses or the big, heavy fixed lenses and opting for more smaller, lighter cameras Mm -hmm. and lenses. Uh, Not to get into a discussion of which cameras I use or lenses. I don't really think that's important and I'm not, you know, represented by any particular manufacturer. The thing is, working that way, I think I found myself creating new work, different kinds of work. And that was exciting to go back, look at that, look at it as compared to some of the older work, which I still think a lot of it holds up quite nicely. But you, you want to evolve as a photographer. If you keep doing the same thing over and over, me, I, I get bored with that. Yeah. And I think that the vision gets old. And I think as a photographer, we owe it to ourselves to continue to try to see things new and differently and if we put ourselves in a position to do that, where we're not afraid to try something new or different, not afraid to fail, because as I think it's Woody Allen said, if you don't fail, you're not trying hard enough, you, you will begin to grow as a photographer. And it doesn't happen immediately. This, this thing called style, which I, I don't like the word style in talking about photography because things go out of style. So you want a vision and that is something that takes time and persistence and constantly pushing yourself forward to try some new things okay great great point um and that is a question i hear a lot from young photographers when when they're speaking to someone who's been around for a while they are so preoccupied with style say how do i develop my style so on and so forth thinking that it's this place that you get to and then once you get there uh that's it you don't grow and that but it's it's style 
sensibility is probably a better word, is something that is forever changing. So when you take a look at your old work, your, your own work, and let's use that word style for lack of a better word. As you looked over your work over the decades, how did you see your quote unquote style changing, evolving, developing, especially within the context of looking at all these images for the sake of the book? Mm-hmm. Early on, you know, I mentioned my who I feel the two people were most influential in my photographic career, my two mentors, Ernst Haas and Jay Maisel. Early on, I was showing some work to Ernst that I was really excited and proud of. And they were, quote unquote, very graphic images. And he said, the thing about a graphic image is that it has an immediate wow or pow effect. But then once you've seen it, you got it, you turn the page. Mm -hmm. You want to do something that holds the viewer's attention and we'll say isn't quite as easy to memorize. It's something that keeps you coming back for more. Well, that was a big, big thing for me to, A, understand that because a lot of what we were doing commercially was taking very chaotic, ugly to horrible to bad situations. Sometimes they were beautiful, fabulous, but a lot of times you were trying to make something out of nothing. And in doing that, it required you to, you know, get down to the basics. And that basics could be something that was very, quote unquote, graphic. So breaking the graphic image, you know, putting a tear in the fabric uh, is, is a term that we've heard before. That was one thing. And then another time, I was showing work to Jay, and he said... Jay Maisel. Jay Maisel. And Jay said, you know, man, <laughs> the work is good, but you need more narrative. And I didn't know what the hell he meant. I said, what do you mean narrative? He says, you just think about it. And I did think about it. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And like in most cases, when the bell goes off, bing, it's like you get it and you understand more about not only what they were referring to and saying, it it helps take the work to a next level. And I began to apply that wherever I could and whenever I could. And those are just, that, that's a couple of examples, I think, right there that I think um, are noteworthy, certainly for me on a personal as well as on a commercial level. Has there been a more recent development or change that you've noted? I don't know. I, I really have forced myself over the last few years to work, as I said before, with a simpler kind of situation. Maybe it's one camera and one lens. And that one lens, okay, you're going to walk out with one. I'm not talking about a zoom lens. I think a zoom lens is, it's not cheating, but it's not, that's not what I have in mind. What I'm talking about is one fixed focal length. Let's really put your feet to the fire, okay? Yeah, you think you're that good, a hot shot? Okay, go out and do it. And I'm talking to myself here. And... Uh, I remember there was there's a, a section in the book. One of the journeys was a trip to China. It was when I was printing the first book. And in my off time, the only thing I took with me on that trip was uh, one camera and one lens, a 35 millimeter lens. That was it. And if that failed, uh, then okay, I was done. Or I guess I could have used my cell phone, but I I find myself using the cell phone really just to remember stuff. Or if it do, if it doesn't ring, I usually forget I have it. In any case. It was about that camera. It was a Leica with a 35-millimeter lens. And what it did, besides simplifying, is it took me back to my photographic roots, which was when I started out, zoom lenses were so bad that we all worked with fixed lenses. And you needed to get to a point 
where when you saw a scene or situation in front of you, you knew that's I need the 35, I need the 28, I need the 50 or the 180 mm-hmm. or whatever it was. And so the trade-off was maybe we walked around with two or three cameras around our neck and two or three fixed lenses, but you got to the point where you could see a certain focal length from where you were standing and you understood it and you reached for that camera and you were making your images. This was this was like going back. And again, the idea that I just had the one camera with the one lens meant I had to, you know, as as Ernst Haas used to say, your your zoom becomes your feet. You move in or you move back. And that was it. And it forced me on top of that to see things differently. If you're seeing things with telephoto eyes and it's you've got a wide angle that's with you, you're going to see or have to see the photo differently or you're not going to be making pictures. And I liked the idea of testing myself there and saying, okay, make this work. And as a result, I think I made new and different photographs because of that. Yeah. Well, you know, you cover very various facets of your career and your work in this book. Um, but who do you think this book is for, and what are you hoping is the big takeaway? I think I think the book is for anybody that's interested in photography, really and truly. I, I think if you have an interest in photography, there's something in the book for you. If you're a student of photography or a person, uh, a young assistant, or someone just trying to get a handle on the business and the background and what it takes and took. Um, I think this is a, a good book. It's, I, I think, I hope it's inspirational, but by the same time, I hope it's informative. Not everything in there that I'm talking about is, you know, ancient history, which by the same token, I think is important. I think not enough young photographers know enough about where they've been to know where they're going. You've got to know your background. You've got to know about uh, former processes and and techniques. And a lot of that will help take you to your next step photographically. I'm always impressed when I am uh, at workshops and young people are coming up and talking about, you know, their love for film. And I'm thinking, wow, you, you shoot with film. Oh, yeah, I love film. Or, or, you know, playing with alternative processes or whatever it may be. I think that that's interesting and exciting because I don't believe there's any one way to make an image. Mm. I, I don't buy into the fact that the only photograph is one made on film. There are incredible photos that have been made digitally, that have been made on ten types, that have been made on film, that have been made on a cell phone, whatever it is. It's about the image. It doesn't make any difference to me what the process was behind it. It's about the image. And if the image is something that we care about and respect and appreciate, boy, that's terrific. That is what it's all about. Besides that, I think my students that take my workshops, I would hope colleagues and uh, family and friends. (laughs) I would like anybody and everybody to, you know, see the book, enjoy the book, because I think there's so much more here for everyone. Um, at least that was what I was trying to do. Yeah, I, I can say for my speaking for myself that I found uh, several parts of the book deeply affirming of my own ongoing journey as a photographer. That uh, that I was reading some of those things and they directly reflected the challenges I'm facing myself as I'm trying to further develop and challenge 
my own eye and how I use the camera. So when I was reading those, it was like I was going, yes, <laughs> you know, because it just it, it was just confirmation that even though I may have not gotten there yet, that I'm moving in the right direction. And I thought that was one of the, the most, one of the most beautiful uh, things that I loved about the book, along with you know the, the great photographs. But just reading that and getting that inf- affirmation, uh, I thought was a real gift. So thank you for that. Oh well, good. That makes me feel good that it reached you that way, and I hope it reaches other people that way. I like I said, I that you know the the actual writing the story, the coming back and the telling the stories was. Uh, that took a huge effort on from my part, and uh, Lowell's advice was write and write fast. And actually, mm. he was right, because I'd get those thoughts down, those fleeting thoughts, and with a little bit of finesse, uh, the stories were there. You know, I didn't want to overthink things. I didn't want to make it complicated. I don't think it has to be. I think if we can make it so that I can relate to you, my experience, and vice versa, then then we're that's collaborating. Mm-hmm. And I like that, and I like if if it does collaborate with the viewer in that way. So um, from that standpoint, good. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for listeners to discover and explore, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? And that is the hardest question of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I thought about this because I, I knew this was one that we would ask, and there are so, so many people that I really admire and uh, appreciate the work. But I've been thinking a lot lately about a, a good friend of mine who also came from the commercial world, Eric Miola. And I don't yeah. know if Eric's been on the show before, but I would highly recommend him. Uh, he's extremely uh, interesting and well-versed. Eric... Uh, to people that don't know him or do know him, uh, it's probably best known for uh, some black and white work that he did years ago for a young rock star who hadn't really made it yet by the name of Bruce Springsteen. And Eric photographed the iconic uh, Born to Run album cover. Um, and I think that's nothing to, to, to be sorry about, or and I don't think he is. <laughs> I think that that work uh, has certainly held up and, and been beneficial to him. But what a lot of people don't know is Eric had this amazing commercial career. We used to compete on assignments frequently. And quite frankly, if I lost something to Eric Miola, I wasn't disappointed. But I knew that they were going for a different look or feel. And Eric's color work is truly outstanding. And the reason I wanted to mention him today is not so much his commercial background, but it's a project that he's been working on for the last several years and something that I'm interested in and seeing him complete. He's been doing this project on extreme weather in the uh, high plains uh, of of the United States. He's been doing this for several years. Uh, It's a pretty dangerous assignment, putting yourself out there and, and doing that. But the imagery is absolutely spectacular. The photographs are just stunning. They are absolutely stunning. I've seen black and white versions of this, but I haven't seen anybody do the color work and create the amount of the quantity of work that he's created from this. Uh, It's going to make a wonderful book and uh, exhibition at some point, and the sooner the better. So, Eric, I would highly recommend to any of you. Uh, take a look. 
Well, Sarah, thank you again for for sharing the book with me and uh, for sharing your story. It's always a pleasure. Pleasure was all mine. Thanks again. Thanks to Arthur for his time and for an amazingly great book. You can find out more about him and his work by visiting ArthurMyerson.com. When thinking about releasing our 400th episode, I thought a lot about how this show has changed my life. These hundreds of conversations have done so much for me as a photographer, as a writer, as an educator. I've done things that I I couldn't imagine would have happened had I not made the choice to take this spark of an idea and make it into something real. I've had the chance to talk to so many of my photographic heroes, but I've also met people whose names may not be well known, but who are nevertheless producing amazing and moving work. I've also had the opportunity to travel across the country and around the world and meet new people and share many of those conversations with you. But the thing that I'm most grateful for is you, the many listeners who have been on this journey with me. Many of you have written to me or approached me in person and have told me how much this show has meant to you and how it helped change your lives. I've heard so many stories of people who pursued their dreams because of something that they heard on an episode of this show. In some cases, it made the difference between giving up and pushing forward to making a dream come true. Every time I hear such stories, it reminds me that what we've managed to create here is bigger than just one person. The difference that we've made and continue to make won't be measured in download numbers or revenue or positive reviews. It will be made by the many people who listen and who are encouraged to pursue their own dreams, their own happiness, their own joy. So thank you for allowing me to be part of your lives and your dreams. And thank you for your continued support of The Candid Frame. If you haven't already, please take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. Your ratings and comments help people to discover the great conversations that we offer here at TCF. Thanks to Tony Okimbo, Woodrufter, and New Analog Photo for their five-star reviews. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash the candid frame, or you'll find the link in the show notes and the candid frame website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show, you can do so via PayPal by clicking on a donate button on the candid frame website or the show notes. Thanks to Jeff Nisler for his recent donation. We really appreciate your support. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS and Android. Not only will you immediately receive the latest episode on your phone or tablet, but you can now easily share your favorite episode on your social networks and help spread the word. And if you want to drop me a line with comments or suggestions for the show, you can email me directly from the app. Download it today by clicking on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at IbarianX. And this is IbarianX, and this is The Candid Frame.